The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the chief priests and elders of the people, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a winepress in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and they beat one killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds, because they had held him to be a prophet. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Well, grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and Jesus the Christ. Well, dear saints, the parable that Jesus tells us today, it focuses on the landowner who leases out this vineyard that he has just established. Now, it seems that this is a rather complex setup. There's a secure fence to keep out the pesky animals, perhaps the raccoons and the deer. And there's also a watchtower to keep an eye on anyone who tries to break in and still their produce. And there's this new wine press to crush the grapes and to and turn the welcome harvest into wine. 
But this landowner, he, he doesn't seem to live there on site. And for all we know, he most likely has several properties just like this. And a newly planted vineyard, well, it takes some years to create and produce a harvest, the fruits. So the landowner, he appoints these tenant farmers to live there and tend to these vines and to ensure that once these vines have reached their maturity, that the tenants would provide the harvest to the owner. Now, Jesus didn't choose this example that he provides for us today by accident. As we journey through this section that we have now in Matthew's gospel, we see this constant theme. It's a conflict with Jesus and the religious and political leaders, Pharisees and then the governmental leaders of the time. The narrative depicted, well, it's during Holy Week, just like last week's narrative was. Um, It's right after Jesus has done his triumphant entry into Jerusalem as a king acclaimed by the people. But he's rejected by those who are in power or think that they have authority anyway. During this tense time that would follow, Jesus faces constant questioning about who he really is, what he's all about. By what authority are you doing these things? It's a little cleaner way of saying that, right? (laughs) The powerful and persuasive words, the healing, the causing chaos in the temple by overturning of merchants' tables. They wanted to know what gives him the right to make so much trouble. And Jesus, he replies, he answers by telling this series that we have of parables. And today he draws on that Old Testament image of God's people as a vineyard planted by God. And that's what we heard in the Old Testament text, the first reading that we had today. My loved one had a vineyard on on a fertile hillside, He dug it up and he cleared it of stones and he planted. He planted it with the choicest vines. God, he rescued his promised people from Egypt. He provided for them a place to settle, to dwell. He promised his constant presence. And he gave them laws by which they could live by and be protected by in a way to honor him. And he ensured harmony between one another and that their light would be shown 
as lights to the nations around them, their neighbors, so that they too would know that Israel's God was Lord of all. But things didn't work out the way that they thought. Actually, they went terribly wrong. God's people, well, they trashed their heritage. Idolatry, it became widespread. They didn't treat each other friendly or justly for that matter. They assumed that God would just turn a blind eye to this behavior. That he wasn't really present and active, but rather he seemed to be an absentee landlord. He was one who wouldn't come calling for their rent. And they thought that he wouldn't see and that maybe he didn't care. Certainly they would acknowledge God in their rituals and their worship practices. But they seemed to live each day as if he was absent. They didn't accept his authority over their lives. The parable tells us what God did. He may have been absent for a time, but he wasn't disengaged, no. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to collect his fruit. But the tenant's response, it was Harsh and shocking. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, they killed another, and they stoned yet a third. And they did this over and over again. They didn't take kindly to being reminded that this vineyard wasn't theirs that they owed everything that they were, everything that they had to the grace and generosity of God alone. Nothing that this landlord had done so far had changed their minds. And finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. His son carried the full authority of his father. He had been disrespected by these tenants, but surely now they would come to their senses with the presence of his son. And we know what happens next. When the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this, this right here, this is the heir. Let's kill him. And take his inheritance. So they took him. And they threw him out of the vineyard. And they killed him. Now not only. Was the tenant's behavior shameful. But it was stupid. It was foolish. Killing the heir, well, it didn't make them the inheritors of this estate. They still had the landlord to reckon with. But they didn't believe 
that he was any kind of threat to them. You see, he was this old and tired, absent landlord. They could live and act as if all of this was rightly theirs. And they expected to get away with it. Fools. Jesus, he finishes this parable by posing a question. He asks the Pharisees, what's going to happen when the owner of the vineyard comes? Now, they knew their theology. They were pious in knowing their theology. And they answer, he will bring those evil people to an end. And he will rent the vineyards to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Now I hear this and I, I wonder how long it actually took for the light bulb to come on for the Pharisees. You see, Jesus was talking about them and about how they were the latest on this long line of leaders and people who had given up on God and and how they were falling into this trap. No, God isn't asleep. God is alive. He is well. And his heart breaks at their disobedience. And he's going to come back and do something about it. But he's not going to get mad or get even. He's going to create a new people who will produce the fruit of faith and love that he's looking for. And the proof of God's intention, well, it's standing right there in their midst, right in front of them. But they can't see it. They can't believe that God could be speaking to them through Jesus, this strange teacher and healer who seems, well, quite unimpressive. He doesn't act like a king. He doesn't act like a Messiah should. And they continue to not get it all the way to the cross. Not thinking for one moment that in this act of sacrificial love, God will bring reconciliation to all who thought that he was dead or blind or unable to act or that maybe he was uncaring. God didn't let all the evil, pain, and brokenness of the world go unpunished. No. But he did not punish the world for it. He bore this punishment in the body of his son, Jesus. And that is the incredible, and some may even say foolish, miracle that we receive in the cross. Now, as you heard this parable today, were you angered? Were you angered 
at all of the injustice piled on one act after another. The cruel tenants, they should pay off with their heads. And how could God's people, his leaders, how could they not get it? Surely they knew that they owed everything to God, their land, their faith, and their lives. They owed it all to him. But was there also inside you as there is in me this realization that maybe we are no different? We know, especially in theory, of all the incredible love and mercy that God has for us. We know that all that we have, our family, our relationships, things, work, you name it, we have it all through the grace of God. But how often do we practically live this way as if we really do believe it at every level of our hearts, in our behavior and in our attitudes? God calls us to bear fruit for him, the fruit which has created us to bear. Jesus himself, he says this. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Discipleship, the way of following him, bearing fruit. So do we live as if God's away? Do we live as if he's not with us, not real, not living? Or do we live as if he is active, as if he is concerned and involved in our lives? To take heart of Jesus's words to us today is to do two things. The first is to acknowledge our practical unbelief. That we live large parts of our own lives on some form of autopilot in which we don't recognize God's ownership and his authority. And by acknowledging this, well, it's to be repentant. It's a way of living our day-to-day Christian lives in repentance. And note that repentance is not some attempt for us to bargain with God, not some quid pro quo. if, If I do this, then you will do that. No. We are not in any position to order God around. And to try to do so means that we don't understand the the depth of the mess that we truly are in, nor the depth of God's love and grace for you.
The only hope is our trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, Christ alone. Our new hope is in him and we need to take his word at its face value. To see his cross as the greatest act of mercy and forgiveness ever. One which applies to us and offers us new life, new hope that is so abundant with God's love, grace, and mercy. Paul, he gets it. And he writes with such passion that I count everything as loss. All things I used to trust in, my pedigree, my piety, my ancestry, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered loss of all things. I consider them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Faith alone. This is the way to live as disciples, to be set free from our past, our mistakes, the things that we didn't do. Confident in the grace of God that it is stronger than any of our sins and wanting to return God's love to him by bearing the fruit of the Spirit to our neighbor. The fruit of the Spirit that brings forth love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, empathy, and goodness. A whole vineyard of goodness. And this is true for each one of you. And it's also true for us as a congregation, as a church. No matter what we have or haven't done as a community of faith, each day for us has a new start, a new opportunity with new hope. And this is a new season for us as we live fully in this grace, in discipleship, fully aware of the privilege of laboring in God's vineyard, living as his church, as disciples, as a community of faith, which points to his everlasting forgiving love. The hope of the world bought with his precious body and blood on the cross for you. You are free in Christ for him. And may that bring you peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all of our reason and our logic and our understanding. May it guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen, amen.